Good morning. Uh, I, I, we realize there's undoubtedly some guests here. My name's Todd Wagner. I get to serve along with the men here at Watermark as we try and encourage each other to live lives that when we look back on, we're going to uh, not be ashamed of. And uh, we're going to, in effect, live our lives with each other in a way that we're constantly encouraging each other day by day, lest any of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin or just the ways of the world. We're, we're kind of really just a group of men that are writing letters to each other every day, not letters to me like that real creative song did, but just letters to each other say, hey, who do you want to be? What kind of man do you want to, you know, uh, become? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And so we're glad you're here. If you're a guest, if you're a visitor, we hope you come back and hang out with us, um, you know, for these next weeks ahead in this little thing that we call Summit, this learn, live, and lead together that we're going to do for the next 10 weeks and um, any other thing that we've got going on here throughout the week, you know, and certainly on Sunday mornings as well. But uh, I don't know if you've seen the billboard on uh, right out here. Uh, we have the ground lease on that particular little billboard right here um, on the very corner of our property, which means that uh, we don't own the billboard, but we own the ground that it's on that Clear Channel uses. And uh, so there's a little income that comes to uh, us through that. But one of the things that we could do is say goodbye to, you know, a little bit of that money every month, and we have a right to use one of the little thirds of that flip multi-side billboard and so uh after letting it run by itself for like three or four years we finally just put up a billboard and you got to time it right because it's, it, it changes it's got three different signs on as it as it goes so unless you're in traffic you don't always see it but what we decided to put up there was not uh you know many more things about in fact we don't want to focus on sunday morning up on the right hand corner you can hardly see it, it says sundays 9 11 and 5 30 but then it says but laugh learn and lead with us anytime. Because what we really want to be is a group of, of uh, friends, and, and guys specifically, that really are about sharing life together, not coming to an event together. That's true of our Thursday mornings. That's certainly true of our Sundays. We want to be guys that, that just continually kind of make our way through life. And I, uh, I, I, the, the reason we call this the summit, this thing that we're about to do, is because uh, of the idea of getting to where we want to go. You know, a K2 is one of the more famous mountains in the world. And so we just kind of play with the idea of L2 Summit, Summit L2, lead, learn and lead. And uh, we kind of evolved it to learn, live and lead. But a, year, a couple of years ago, maybe when we were starting this whole idea, I had received a letter. And uh, the letter was from a young guy that just said this, Mr. Wagner, I hope you and your family are doing well, if it's possible to maintain... Uh, your attention for more than a minute with the full house that you've got going on, I want to ask if you would do something for me. What sort of advice would you give as how to continue to push farther in my relationship with others, with my God, and with, with, uh, to grow as a man? I know the usual pray, read, meditate on the word stuff, <laughs> but I was curious if you have any extra words of wisdom. Sometimes I feel closer to him than other times and can usually put it on a lack of focus, uh, a lack of prayer, and reading the word. I want to know him like David and just want to continue to press on. Any advice? I'm not trying to give you my life story or ask for a long treatise here. Uh, I was just curious. I'm tired of hearing people dance around the issues. Thank you. Well, it, here, here was my response. And I, I just stumbled on this this week as I was thinking about what we were going to do. Uh, I said, you know, I love your question. And here is my quick, honest and heartfelt reply. First, learn. Learn constantly. Read well. Meaning, read the right stuff, which obviously means reading God's Word ferociously. It alone is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. Ask people you respect 
what things they have read that have impacted them the most. Read broadly, not just the pop Christian stuff. Read books that you're trying to reach. Uh, that, that read books that you are trying um, to understand what others think that disagree with you. When you read the Bible, read it with a pen in your hand and an expectation that the Lord is going to give you something to to uh, deal with, learn from, act on, etc. And then I said, lead. The best way to grow is to put yourself in a place where you have to learn, a place where you have to stay fresh, a place where you have to see God show up or you will crater, a place where you're leading, a place that demands constant attentiveness to something greater than you, a place where you can, uh, gives you a purpose, teach, don't shy away from hard conversations, don't let someone put a ceiling on you, dream, believe, act. What I really basically told him is that, look, the rest of your life you're going to be a learner, but if all you are is a learner with never any output, you're not going to become the fullness of what you want to be. But you have got to take seriously the opportunity that is before you because, like it or not, you are a leader. All of us are. And whenever I get a group of men together like we had this morning, and as we get ready to think about why we would invest intentional time and lose sleep for the next ten weeks together, I want to remind them that learning so that we can lead better is really what it's all about. And it's worth a little sacrifice of sleep. Um, I just want to take this morning and just remind you all of who we must be because of who we are. Now, what I mean by that is we are men. And like it or not, we are put in a position of influence and power over others. Now, those people underneath us are either going to prosper underneath us or they're going to suffer underneath us. And I just want to give you a sober reminder this morning from God's word about who we are. There is no better place for us to invest our time than with this group right here. Because as the men of this church go, so will this church go. As the men in the church go, so will the city go. That is a fact. Let me just share with you a couple of scripture. One of them is is Proverbs chapter 28. Verse 15, it says this, it says, like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. Now you think about that. What is a, what is a, 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 a roaring lion or a rushing bear going to do to you? It's going to create fear. It's going to create dread. It's going to create insecurity. It's going to cause guys to hide. And look what it's going to do right here. Look at the next little proverb I've got up here for you. It's in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 15. It says, when the righteous triumph. In other words, when men lead like they should, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, there's that rushing bear idea. Men hide themselves. And that men there is homo sapien. It's all people. When there are wicked people over you in a position of sovereignty, folks suffer. Look what it says in Proverbs 29 too. It's a similar idea. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, People groan. These verses all go together because when it talks about, I love the metaphor, like a roaring lion and a rushing bear, that makes people do two things. It makes them hide, that was Proverbs 28, 12, and it makes them groan because they know it's just a matter of time before they suffer. And guys, I want to tell you, um, one of the reasons that I have been grateful that I could go and watch entire continents that suffer under poor leadership and make no mistake about it, the problem is in third world countries is not a problem of a lack of resource. It is not a problem of a lack of food. It is not poverty. It is princes. Let me say that one more time. 
The problem in Africa, the problem in, um, in, in South America, the problem in South Dallas is not a lack of resources. It is a lack of righteous men. It's a lack of leadership. I, I've mentioned before, over $2 trillion in aid has been dumped into Africa from the West in the last five decades. And there is still immense suffering. And the reason is, is because the men that are getting that aid are not using it wisely and are not caring for the people. And so I want to tell you something. There are entire countries that I've been in where there is no wildlife. Burundi, which is right in the heart of Africa. I mean, the most lush part of Africa. Some of us have been there. It is, um, it is, it is a lush country, but there is no wildlife in it. There are more wild animals in Dallas than there are in Burundi. Because they have absolutely destroyed it. This lush green um, rainforest, there's been so much deforestation and, uh, and, and war that you see entire hills that are just completely wiped clean where there's no place for soil to maintain itself, for trees to grow, for nutrients to stay there, and it becomes just a place of incredible suffering. And the problem isn't that there wasn't a resource there. The problem is, is that men have raped and pillaged the land, and now they have moved to rape and pillaging the women and children. And what I see happening on a macro level there, I just, whenever I'm in Africa, I can't wait to get back to Dallas because I see the same thing happening, not in neighborhoods or, 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 or nations here, but in neighborhoods and specifically in homes. And just go, oh, Lord. I want to get back to my friends, my, my, my kids' friends in elementary school and junior high and high school who have dads that are ruling over them or are absent in their care for them in the same way this, at, these nations have had leaders absently leading them. And there is hiding and there is groaning there. And I want to tell you, there is hiding and there is groaning here. And I just want to be one of the guys that says, before this becomes our nation and it's happening quickly, I want to make sure that in my neighborhood it doesn't happen. First and foremost, in my home it doesn't happen, then in my neighborhood, and then wherever else God wants us as men to go together. I want to read to you uh, from Isaiah chapter 3. Watch this, because I want to show you in just a couple of places uh, what God says is going to happen to uh, nations as a form of judgment. One of the greatest signs of judgment on a nation is when men stop being men. Look, it says, For behold... The Lord of God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. The whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. In other words, there's going to be poverty. But here's why there's poverty. Because what you're going to lose is the mighty man. You're going to lose the warrior. You're going to lose the judge. You're going to lose the prophet. You're going to lose the, the person who speaks about divine truths. You're going to lose the elder. And this is what's going to happen. I will make mere lads their princes. In other words, the reason that, that there's poverty is because there's no mighty men, there's no real men around anymore, and what's going to happen is you have a bunch of boys leading this place. Capricious children will rule over them. And the first part of verse 5 says this, as a result of having a bunch of adolescents leading, it says the people will be oppressed. 
Now, gang, I cannot think of a better description of what's going on in our world today than the very first part of verse 5. The people are oppressed. And the reason they're oppressed, the reason that the entire women's liberation movement started is because we led in such a way that they could not live peaceful, quiet lives. Do you guys know in the scripture where it says that women should be quiet and it does say that? Do you know that the same guy that wrote that just six verses earlier uses the same word for us? It says that we should at all times pray for kings and others in authority that we might lead quiet lives. What it says here is, look, you, you don't want to have to be an insurrectionist. And when you've got wicked, capricious princes and rulers, you've got to go, we can't stand for this. In other words, we had a, you know, if King George had done what he was supposed to do, at least we contended in the 18th century, we would not have had to declare our independence and become rebels against him. And because George had oppressive taxation, and because he was full with greed, because he was looking to further his own kingdom and feather his own bed, we said, this is unjust. And so we had to take up arms against the king. That is why women, guys, don't like to follow us because they see us feathering our own bed and furthering our own kingdom. And they go, we've got to take up arms against them. And so Gloria Steinem and others start to say, let's liberate ourselves from these oppressive, idiot men. But they're not really delivering themselves from men. They're delivering themselves from capricious children who rule over them. And what we're about right here is we just, we just want to say, we don't blame you that you want to declare your independence from us. Not hopefully us, but the likes of us, okay, who have not led well. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 16 says this, Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, and whose princes feast in the morning. In other words, a king that doesn't get up and get busy serving the people. But all he wants to do is go, what's for breakfast, what's for brunch, what's for lunch, what's the afternoon snack, what's for dinner, who am I sleeping with tonight? That is not a good way to live. And it's the proverbial, get home, pop a cold one, yell at the wife, and put the game on. Woe to you, lassie. If you marry that, slob. Woe to you, land, when that is the general uh, attitude and characteristics of your men. Now, I just, you know, I'm a dad, and so I, I don't, it doesn't take me much effort to think about what it would be like if a lad was king. And so I just go through, and I made some observations about what kind of characteristics are consistent with kids. And, and, and ask yourself this, would I want to be married to this? Would I want this to lead my government? Would I want this to lead my school? Would I want this to lead my uh, nation? Okay, when you think of a child, what's one of the very first things that you think of? I think of, I think of the word selfish, and, 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 and maybe you did too because you read it. But watch this. You know, kids are not naturally other-centered, and neither are we. And that's why we are told to put away childish things and to learn to live with a perspective that is outside of our four, six, seven decades of experience. They are demanding. When they want something, they will throw any kind of fit to get it. They are manipulators, if you will. 
and not ministers. And that's one of the biggest problems I see in relationships is guys get demanding and they'll do whatever they have to do to get what they want. They are short-sighted. They lack any discipline in the area of delayed gratification. I want it all and I want it now. And I don't want to work for it. They are short-sighted. As I said, they lack in wisdom. They're childish and foolish. The difference there is just simply the idea that when you're a child, you don't know any better. When you're foolish, you have no sense uh, of consequence or any urgency to obey anything. It's just all about you. That's foolishness. Childishness is you have you have no wisdom or perspective. They are helpless. Kids can't really do anything to change your environment. And see, by the way, guys, I will tell you, this is one way we are to be like a child. We are to see our helplessness and go, you know what? If I'm just left to myself, if I drift where I'm naturally going to go, I am going to be impulsive and prone. I'm going to be easily deceived. I'm going to be fearless. I'm going to be consistently making messes that I cannot clean up. I'm going to be fickle in my friendships. I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to be indiscriminate. And I, I got to realize I got, I've got to get something outside of me to help me or this is where I will drift. And that's where grace shows up, and that's where we write letters of encouragement to each other. And that's where we spur each other on to love and good deeds, where we learn together how to lead. So we can be men. See, that's the idea of what men are supposed to do with children, is to grow them up and to, if you will, uh, wean them of their childish ways. And to take them through, uh, if you will, a, a, um, an apprenticeship where they themselves then learn the trade of being men. But most guys, if you ask guys, what is a man? You want to talk about just getting a bunch of guys in a room quiet, go, define manhood. Most guys can't. And so it, doesn't, it shouldn't surprise us that there's not a lot of men out there. It says when you have guys that don't know what it is to be a man... That there's going to be people who are suffering underneath them. And one of the reasons that, that, that I love this place is because I saw Jeff earlier this morning. Jeff Stresa, as he said to me a number of years ago, Todd, let me tell you what. This is a man's church. Which means it's a woman's church and a kid's church. Because we're just not in here just loping along, bringing our wives to a meeting once a week. This is a place where we're really trying to say, hey guys, we've got to get with it. Because they are going to suffer and rebel against us and declare war against us. And they should if we don't lead the way that we're called to lead. And what I want to be is I want to be a group of men. I want to be in a room full of guys that are just saying, let's discipline ourselves to be the kind of guys that women are grateful that we're in their life. That children are grateful that we're their fathers and that we're their shepherds. Let me show you... um, what it says in Ecclesiastes, I mean, excuse me, Ezekiel uh, chapter 22, and just walk you through and just show you how consistent this idea is here. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, this is Ezekiel, who's a, a prophet of the day, you are a land that is not cleansed or rain on in the day of indignation, which basically means, this is Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 25, when it says that, um, that you're not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation, it means that you are you are culpable. You are guilty. There is no provision for your sin. And the reason is, is that those men have not ever acknowledged their need, that they need some help outside of them. They've been dependent upon themselves. And so here's where it goes. But watch this. See if you can pick out the P's here that are all tied together. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst. Like a roaring lion tearing to prey. They have devoured lies. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in the midst of her. 
In other words, prophets are men that are supposed to speak truth to men, and they don't. Verse 26, priests, folks that are supposed to minister to other men and encourage other men. And by the way, just so we all understand this, all of us are to declare truth to one another, speak the truth in love. That's the command to all of us. All of us are priests if we are who we're supposed to be as men. We're a kingdom of priests. And so the priests have done violence to my law. In other words, we have not ministered to one another the truth of God's word. And we've profaned holy things. We've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. They hide their eyes from the things that I tell them basically they should do. And I am profaned among them. Look at this next P. Her princess, which is people in positions of of now administrative leadership, are like wolves tearing their prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get this on its gain. Her prophets, again, have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and dividing lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. In other words, what we don't do is speak the truth to each other. What we do do is we redefine truth, we recategorize truth, and we give each other excuses for not living the way we should live and not leading the way we should live. Now, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, bottom line is, guys, God isn't going to judge people because this is going on. That going on is the judgment. And when you've got that kind of priesthood, you've got that kind of prophet and that kind of prince, then this is what you have in verse 29. You have this kind of people. The people, therefore, practice oppression and commit robbery. And they've wronged the poor and the needy. And it says, and they have oppressed the sojourner without justice. Look, go put verse 29 back up there for me. Tell me if that doesn't look like West Dallas, South Dallas. Tell me if that doesn't look like our country. Tell me if that doesn't look like your kids in your home with these sibling, you know, rivalry going on when, when you're not leading well. And we shouldn't be surprised. So verse 30 then says this. The people of the land. No, he's, I search, God says, for one man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. In other words, what God is saying is my eyes are going to and fro and I'm looking for a man. Is there one man that will stand in the gap? There is a breach here. And I need a man who will step up and lead. Now, guys, I, one, one, of, one of the real regrets in my life is that I never had a chance to serve in our military because of the values of what our military teaches, because of the things that it expects of individuals, that they are part of an organization that must exist to protect the people, that they do it with dignity and honor. Have we done it perfectly? Certainly not. Have we done it better than any other country in the history of humankind with its purposes? I think so with our military. But, uh, but there are so many lessons to be learned from what happens at war. And we are men at war. And there is a great little clip. You know, if you have not uh, burned the 10 to 12 hours watching Band of Brothers, I might recommend it to you. Um, and, and there is a, a little clip in there I want to show you right here. And then I want to close with um, a, a conversation I had with a young woman who hangs out with us here on Sundays this week. Uh, she came up to me actually after hearing me say 
to the guys of Watermark, the son of man, come hang out with us on Thursday and come hang out with us for a number of Thursdays after this. She came up to me afterwards and she just said, I just got to tell you, I'm so glad you said that because my whole life has been destroyed by men. And I'm learning to trust men again because of the men that I'm meeting here. And the kind of men that I'm meeting here are starting to soften my heart and are starting to help me deal with some of my pain. And, and they have got to multiply themselves. And those that aren't that men here yet need to be grown into that. Would you please tell them that? I said, I don't know your story, but would you please share your story with me? And she sent me an email yesterday, and I'm going to read you her email to you. Because you're going to see uh, Proverbs 28, 29. Isaiah 3, Ezekiel 22, come to life today. But as we start with this, uh, I want to show you a little clip from Band of Brothers. And what, just to give you a little background of what's going on right here, is that, um, that there is a platoon of guys that are put in wars during World War II, and, uh, and there's one particular guy that, that from the very beginning was not a very good platoon leader. This particular lieutenant um, was uh, insecure, he was um, always trying to, uh, I guess, lead his men in a way that made him feel good about his leadership, but wasn't really thinking about his men. And he was overwhelmed consistently. And we have him in one of his first major conflicts here. And because of his uh, inability to lead, you're going to see carnage. And he locks up. And remember what children says about children? You know, as I went through and just talked about a little lad will lead them. Children don't even know how to clean up their own messes. And when you've got somebody that just goes, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do. I am not prepared for this moment. You have death. And then another guy shows up that has been kind of the second in command. And the colonel gets on the radio and says, tell Dyke to stand down. So-and-so is in charge. And then this guy shows up. And watch what he does. The first thing he does is he risks his life for his men. And then he begins to lead in a way that brings peace to a very chaotic moment. Watch the clip. Easy red, easy red, stand by for the six. Bully! Bully, you get back here where I can see you! First platoon, hold up, hold up, take cover! Martin! Sir, 
We are sitting ducks here. We have to keep moving. Hey, but Smears, get yourself over here. Get out there and relieve Dyke and take that attack on in. I'm taking over. Sir, most of the company is spread out here. First platoon tried an end around, but they're stretched out. They're pinned down by a sniper. I believe he's in the building with the cage in the roof. All right, I want mortars and grenade launchers on that building till it's gone. When it's gone, I want first to go straight in. Forget going around. Everybody else follow me. Yes, sir. Thank God. going on there but you can see the chaos you can see the death and you can see just that dad frozen and he doesn't know what to do people are screaming out from every direction and he doesn't know what to do and then spears comes in and he right away says this is what we're going to do and then he begins to do this and he said you know he, he ran through the he they had lost contact with others and he knew he had to get to him. For whatever reason, radio wasn't working. So he went through and ran through the Germans. He says the astounding thing is not that they, he went over there, but the astounding thing was that he came back. And he got with us, and he led us. And as the story goes on, you can imagine it had a, a better ending. But what I really want to tell you guys is that I want to be that guy. I, I want to be that, that man that when I, I get in that situation, I'm not overwhelmed because I've prepared myself for that moment. And that's really what the summit is. It's a group of guys that are getting in here every week, every Thursday, and we're just saying, we've got to learn so we can lead, so that others can live. And by the way, when we lead, that's what we're created to do. It's living like no other business success or sexual pleasure or pornographic fantasy can provide for you. There's really nothing so sweet as your kids being excited that you're home, as your wife being glad that you're her husband, as the co-workers being thankful that you lead them in a time of crisis and economic instability. Uh, I, I, there's several of you that I know are doing this in business. But I know a, a leader of a very large recognizable company who's in this room this morning who this week led his men just that exact way. He just got them in a room and said, I'm not really sure about things that I can't control, but I am sure of this. This is who we're going to be. And if we have the opportunity later, you know, through the, the grace of 
of, of uh, God's sovereign hand on all this, we're going to be ready to prosper. But whether we do or don't, let me tell you who we're going to be. And I will, I will tell you, what an opportunity to lead you guys have as you go to your offices. That your hope isn't in a greater return than last year. It's an opportunity to be faithful even in chaos today. That's all anybody can ask for. And that's who we want to be. But I want to tell you, if you're not inspired to be that man yourself, I want to let you know the God who created children and women, He cares how they're led. He cares deeply how they're led. And He doesn't like them to to hide and to groan. He did not design them to be in the presence of rushing bears. He designed them to be in the presence of noble princesses. I want to read you this sweet little letter from from my friend Holly. She said, let me share with you a brief history of some major events in my life so you may better understand my motives and reasons for writing this. My parents divorced when I was very young, largely due to my father's inability to control his temper, his poor choices in responding to stressful situations, his not responding in love and kindness, as our Heavenly Father calls us to, but led with anger, rage, malice, and selfishness. Each of my parents married while I was very remarried when I was very young. As I entered adulthood, I met a, a man that helped me learn about Jesus. He became my college sweetheart and later my husband. But soon after we wed, secrets in my family were uncovered about my biological father's poor choices, including the fact that he had long been involved in drug abuse and trafficking. Not only that, but multiple affairs, which later led to both his divorce from my mother and an ongoing imprisonment. Not long after that, lies, deceit, love of money, and selfishness consumed both parents and both sets of families, which led to the divorce of both of my parents. These bad decisions created a trial of pain for our entire family and a trail of pain. The confusion and hurt left in my mother's and sister's hearts eventually manifested itself in various ways including our alcoholism, our drug abuse, our depression, our severe isolation, our mistrust and abuse and suffering and hatred at the hands of men. My marriage was also severely affected because my inexperience and lack of knowledge in dealing with mistrust and pain produced in my parents' long strange of bad decisions, which I repeated, led to worries combined with other stresses of life, and it began to pile too high for us. My husband was not equipped to handle this or me. And he began to blame God. Our lack of authentic biblical community led us to a place where my husband began to deny God, hate and mistrust me, and ultimately led to him divorcing me. Through some of the things that I've experienced at Watermark, I have been taught much lately and have grown now to a place where I'm learning how to love and trust men again. As you can imagine, there are quite a few scars on my hearts from past hurts. She says, in a recent night, I was with a group of girlfriends, a large group of them. And one of us asked the question, if your family, in your family of origin, what was the family secret that almost everyone lived to try and protect? And she said this, I was shocked. I take that back. I was saddened, but not shocked to hear almost every woman present, including me, say that the secret was a sin struggle in her father or husband's life that was not being dealt with well. And that she had major scars left from their bad decisions. 
I consistently see this theme in young women's lives as I serve all throughout our city and church. And I love the way she closes. She closes with a prayer. She says, uh, it's up to you men. This is really a letter she kind of wrote as an open letter. It's up to you men to love your wives as Christ loves the church, to bring up your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. I pray that you can hear and never let go of your call as servants to our Lord, as the leaders of your families. I pray that we always trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him as he directs our paths. I lift you up in prayer and am grateful for each one of you men. I love you, my brothers in Christ. I pray for your continued realization, men, that your Heavenly Father calls you not to perfection, nor to be your own master, but instead to be humble servants in His kingdom, using His power to be His strong leaders in your family, in your church, leaders who are unashamed to admit their imperfection and powerlessness to control their tendencies to do the wrong thing. You are commanded to encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. To set for them an example of doing what is good. To in your teaching show integrity. In seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. I pray for the men of this church. Now one of the reasons I believe she does it is because she has suffered underneath people who were males but not men. And one of the things that we just want to do is, guys, look, this is not about us coming in here and being a bunch of macho guys. This is about us coming in here saying, man, we need each other. We are going to screw up this war. There's going to be chaos. We're going to look at each other like this. We're going to want to stare at computer screens to have victory in wars that don't exist. We're going to want to create little fiefdoms in business that we think were a success but we're not going to really lead if we don't get together as men and spur each other on. And this is what we do. And so if you're nervous, if you don't know jack squat, if you've never read your Bible, okay, so guess what? You're showing up your first day of boot camp, and there's guys here that have been through some wars. And we remember that feeling. And we don't look at you with disdain. We look at you and go... There's another man that's ready to become another lieutenant. That who knows that God might not make him a general, a president, a patent. And we're just going to say, let's go. But I want to tell you what, every single one of us has a platoon. And every one of those platoons is somebody's kid. And any commander in chief cares about every single soldier. And I want to tell you something. If you think Bush wrote letters to the men that died in these last number of years, and he has individually to every one of them, God has done more than written letters. He shed his blood for them. And that's why he says, you better lead those soldiers well, Lieutenant, because I died for them. So do not be idle in your care of them. And so that's who we are. Okay, we're a group of men that are going to say, let's become better leaders. Let's risk our lives, sacrifice ourselves in a way that I want my son to have that look that those guys had. I want my wife to want to throw parades for my leadership. I want my son to look at his brother and go, can you believe that? That's our dad. 
I want the women of this church to go, can you believe that? These are the men of our church. They love us. They lead us. They deny themselves for us. These are men. And the summit is a piece of that. Okay? Not a mindless drift through ten weeks, but getting in each other's lives and spurring each other on. And we invite you in. I'm so thankful that there are a bunch of spears in this room. A bunch of guys that are already doing it. But I want to be in the officers club with you. And I'm so grateful there's a bunch of fresh recruits in this room. I'm even glad there's a few dykes that have gone, I've screwed up in wars in the past. I want to own that. And I want to become a Spears. And we invite you in. And the women are praying that you get in. God's word, each other's lives, and a position of humility before Christ. Okay? So join us, guys. All right, there's no reason this room shouldn't be twice as thick as it is right now. But being here is not going to be the key. It's going to be attentive to God's Word. It's going to be attentive to each other and attentive to His Spirit where we consistently say, not my will, but thy will be done. If you have not signed up for the summit and you want to, um, sweet Julie and Katrina got up early this morning uh, to come and be there for you. Uh, you can just write your name on a piece of paper and you know your your email and your phone number and just lay it there. They'll, they'll type it in for you later or you can stand there and they'll do it right then or you can call us later today. If you can't make Thursday mornings on a regular basis, would you let us know? Because we want to take away the excuse. We'll form groups other times if that's what it takes. We're going to go through the book of Job, okay, which really wrestles with a guy that was a great man, but he had something in his life that wasn't as it should be. A complete surrender before the sovereignty of God that gave him peace ultimately, in all of life's wars. And God knows that if we're going to be effective leaders, we've got to develop the perspective of Job. And so we invite you to join us. Uh, what we're doing this next year is we're going to be here at 6.30, guys, sharp. We're going to go for 10 minutes in here, okay? Maybe two or three minutes of stuff, but at 6.45, we're out of here because we want you in each other's lives, in God's Word, discussing it. We've redone our book this year. The questions are much more applicational, uh, we're not asking you to do the, 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 a, a large hermeneutic study every day. We're saying read the scripture, wrestle with these truths, come ready to discuss it, and talk about application in your lives. We want to help you any way that we can. And we invite you to join us with other guys in a regular time of becoming princes, prophets, and priests so the people are glad. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks for a chance to get together this morning and be with other guys. And uh, I just pray that even as we drive to work, we'd turn the radios off and we would pray. Father, make me the man that you want me to be. Keep me humble around uh, lieutenants and colonels so that I can learn from them. I, ra- I pray, Lord, that you would raise up in this room men that would make other men look at each other and smile and go, look at that. I will follow that. I pray that our daughters and our sons our wives, our friends would view us that way. I pray, Lord, as we go to work and as we're done praying that we'd pick up our phone, we'd call our wives. We'd ask them for how we've led them poorly. Ask them forgiveness for that. Or we would remind them of the joy that we have in serving them well. And that they would cock their head in wonder at what you had done here this morning as you quickened our hearts one more time to have us strive to be what you have created us to be, a good God who wants to slap medals on our chest and more than that, make our hearts filled 
with dignity, purpose, and pride in living as you in your glory have called us to live. May we boast, Father, in the fact that we follow Jesus Christ, the greatest of all men, the greatest commander-in-chief who gave his life for us. We love you, and we want to become like him. Help us help each other toward that end. Amen. All right, guys. God bless you. Pray and call your people on the way to work. We'll see you.